Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Man, I mentioned earlier it's a graduation weekend, and we're uh, excited for graduates and everything that they have accomplished and uh, praying for, blessings over them for whatever uh, is, is next. Uh, my uh, college experience was, I, I suppose, a, a little bit unique in that I, I did some community college. So by the time I went off to college, I, I had two more years uh, to do. And uh, the first year, I uh, lived on campus and uh, was blessed to go to uh, a Christian liberal arts school that I learned stuff at, I hope, I think, uh, and uh, made friends, had a great time. Uh, and um, and so that was maybe the most normal of my college experiences. But then after my first year off at college, I got married. And the, so the next year, I lived an hour away and drove into campus every day. Uh, that was a little bit different. Uh, when I was going to college, uh, it was around this time where we were uh, noticing, and because we were college students, we probably thought we were the first ones to ever notice, uh, that the, the cultural attitude toward Christianity, toward church, uh, was, was shifting. Uh, this was around the, the turn of the century. Um, and no teenagers, not that century, the recent one. Anyway, um, it, was, it was around the turn of the century. It's all the same to them. They're like, whatever, you're old. Okay. Uh, it was in this time when, when we're noticing that, that the idea of being a Christian is not perhaps as uh, popular as it once had been. Uh, the term seemed to carry some weight with it that we didn't like very much. Uh, and so uh, we talked about things like, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower. Uh, and, and you'll still hear that show up in uh, my language to this day, uh, partly because that is what we're inviting people to. We're not inviting people to uh, sign up for uh, a, a list of precepts. We're inviting people uh, to, to follow after Jesus, that this is a living and active relationship. Uh, but we'd also say things like, well, uh, I didn't sign up for a religion. I signed up for a relationship. It's not religion. It's relationship. Some of you can think back far enough to remember some of these conversations, perhaps, uh, as well. And I have uh, backed off of that a little bit, partly because I think both the religion and the relationship are important. So let's, uh, let's dive in there, actually. And we'll, we'll get to notes early this week. Uh, so let's, let's talk about the difference between the two just briefly. Uh, religion is instructive. Relationship is interactive. Okay? Religion is instructions. Relationship is interaction. So relationship is our interaction with God, right? That's the part we're talking about. It's, our, our interactions with God, talking to, hearing from, which, by the way, uh, that idea that we get to interact with God, um, maybe we show up at church enough that we forget how ridiculous that is, that the God of the universe invites us into interaction uh, with him, uh, that as we, we worship, as we pray, that we are interacting with God, that as we open ourselves to be led by God in whatever way that is for you, uh, that uh, that is interaction with, with the God who made the universe. That's just remarkable. So, so relationship is interaction. 
the instructions then are the, the parts where, where God has uh, put some things in place as boundary markers, as a pathway to say, hey, walk in this way uh, and it will go well for you. So there's relationship. Uh, and then there is the religion, the, the instructions, the rules, if you want, uh, that, that have been set up uh, to keep us safe, to keep us headed in the, the right direction. Uh, direction. Uh, from, from the very first pages of scripture, we watch God not only create humanity, but enter into interaction with them. Uh, before there are any rules, there is interaction, there's relationship. And then God sets up uh, these boundaries for the humans to say, hey, uh, stay away from this. This is bad. This will hurt you. Uh, stay in this way. He, he gives them some commands, a commission, a job to do. Uh, he says, go and do these things and don't do this thing. Okay. And we have our first instructions, but it is all based on the relationship. Okay. And, and we see this uh, all the time in our world. Uh, parents and kids maybe being the best analogy for this, right? So when a child is really small, all that uh, cooing and ooing and, and the funny voices we make because children make us some, I don't know what, it, what comes over grown people, but we start talking in ways and doing things and waving our hands around in ways that we never would otherwise. Uh, and they talk back and that's all that awesome stuff that we love uh, getting to hear uh, here or elsewhere. And, and it's fantastic. All of that is the bonding of an interactive relationship, right? Uh, all of that is the interaction, is building bonds with our children, right? We're, we're bonding. And then as they get older and more mobile, we start putting some boundaries around them uh, to help keep them safe, hopefully because we love them and want them to be safe and want them to make uh, good choices. And so you say, hey, don't touch the hot stove. That would be bad for you. Uh, that's, that's not uh, something restrictive that we're trying to do to them. That's because we love them and we don't really want them to burn their hands and we really don't want to do the ER trip and all of those things. Okay, so it, it's all those instructions are based on the bond of the relationship. And as kids get older, the instructions get more common complicated because the consequences get more complicated, but hopefully it is all based on uh, the bonds of that relationship. And where things go wrong is when we, for some reason, turn from the bonds of this relationship and we turn toward the instruction. So if you think back on your relationship with your parents, and I know uh, many people don't want to do that. So uh, if you can bear with me for a second, I, I would love to go through this. So so if you think back on your relationship with your parents, perhaps for some reason it felt like this bonded interactive relationship was not happening. It was not going well. Maybe from the very beginning, uh, your mom or dad was either physically absent or, or just present, but, but not really. Okay? And so you, you don't have this bond of relationship or you get really mad at them because they tell you not to hang out with Susie or whatever, and you turn away from the bond of this relationship. Well, what you are left with then is you're left with the instructions. And one of two things will happen when we stare at the instructions and we turn from the bonds of relationship and we're left with the instructions. Either you will decide to find your value and your worth and your attention and your praise in following the instructions really, really well. And some of you went this route because you felt like I can't 
get dad's attention. But if I follow these rules, if I excel in this way, if I achieve this thing, if I'm really good at this thing that he expects of me or hopes for from me, then I can turn to dad and say, hey, dad, look, I did this great thing. Uh, and, and look, guys, and, and if we can't impress our parents, if we're like, well, that's never going to work, we turn to trying to figure out how to impress the people around us. And maybe if I just follow all these things really well, and I get the straight A's, and I get the varsity letter, and I do all of those things, I get into the right college, then I will impress the people around me. And maybe I can bond with them in a way that is absent in this relationship for me. So that's one option, is we find our value in how well we achieve or, or uh, accomplish or live out uh, these instructions that we feel like we We've been given. The other, of course, is that we look at the instructions and we go, ooh, this is really restrictive. I don't want any of this. Or in trying to impress the people around us, we go, well, they will be most impressed if I can break down all of these restrictions and just do life my way and live it the way that I want and be my own boss, my own God, my own parent, my own source of love because I'm not finding it here. So if we're not finding the instructions, if we're not looking at the instructions based on the bond of the relationship, we will either try to find our value in how well we follow them or we will bust through them and say, well, I will just be my own person. I will set my own boundaries because these are restrictive on me. These feel like they're holding me back. And, and we see this all the time, right? In parent and child relationships, where, where for some reason, and it, is, and it is part of what is so hard for parents as their kids go from being little and into being teenagers, is that they're more and more turning away from this bond because as they get older, they find out that you have flaws and imperfections and maybe they don't like you as much as they did when they were three. And so they start trying to figure out, well, what's going on over here with the instructions you gave me? Like, I like this one and I don't like that one. So we'll throw that over there. And, and as a parent, you're going, but I, I put those there for a, a reason. Um, and, and when we're doing a really great job as parents, uh, those instructions are there out of our love and care for them. And when we're doing a lousy job as parents, either we forget to give the instructions and provide the boundaries, or uh, we, we put the instructions there because we want to look good or because we're afraid um, or because uh, we feel like our children need to be impressive so people are impressed with us. But if it's done right, all based on this bonding and loving relationship, the instructions are simply there to help kids go in the right way. Throughout scripture, we see God interacting with humanity and saying, here's the boundary, here's the right way to go, here's the things that will keep you safe. And we watch humanity go, yes, God, thank you so much. We're so glad these are here. And then at some point, they turn away from that relationship and they get focused on the instructions and either finding their value and worth and superiority in them or uh, more often than breaking through them and trying to figure out what's on the other side of this picket fence. Right? And God will let them run off and let them do that. And he keeps calling them back to himself. Like, guys, over here, you are literally worshiping a thing of metal. I would like to have an interactive relationship with you. Would you come on back? And eventually life outside uh, those fences gets so painful that they come on back and they go, God, you are, you're right. We really, we do need you. And then they turn away again. And, on, and it just is this pattern of turning away and being called back and being welcomed back into relationship and then turning back and trying to make it about the instructions and whether we break them or keep them or are superior with them over and over again until one day God decided to walk 
among them. That as he had in the beginning, where he was in a personal, intimate relationship with humanity, where they walked with him through the garden and they took care of things together, he decides to walk with them again. And the Spirit of God filled a young woman with faith and her womb with a miracle, and she gave birth to a boy who was fully human and fully divine, and she called him Jesus. Jesus was heaven with a heartbeat, heaven with ten fingers and ten toes, who grew into a man with, uh, with feet that ached, <laughs> with muscles that got sore, with eyes that watered, a man who was full of wisdom and power and all the grace of heaven. Heaven in humanity, joining them in relationship and religion and saying, I want to be in relationship with you. And yeah, these instructions are important. Jesus was a man who who invited mankind into a relationship with God through himself. That was the mission of Jesus, to invite people into a relationship, an interaction with God through himself. So Jesus stepped into a time in our human history in which the religiously powerful had given themselves over fully to fulfilling what they called the the law. Okay, the instructions that God had, had given them. And the truly holy, they believed, were the ones who followed those instructions in the most impressive way. And so they looked at all of these instructions, and there were people who said, well, we're in charge of whether our community follows these instructions. And so we are going to hold you to all of them. We're going to hold you to all of them. Now, we want to make sure we look impressive, so we're not going to worry about some of them, but the ones that are really important to us, we're going to make sure these are a big deal, and we're going to make sure that we hold you to them, and we're going to make sure you know how impressively we can follow these instructions. And in doing so, they really leaned into this who's in, who's out kind of categories. Like those who follow the important instructions, the ones that we really value, you're in. Those who don't follow the important instructions or who struggle or who just keep breaking the rules, you're out, right? Because we can easily prop up these instructions as a fence that keeps us safe and keeps the world out there. We can also prop it up as a fence that says, if you can follow these, you're in. If you can't, you are out. Categories of who could be in charge and who couldn't, who was good enough and who wasn't. And maybe especially, most importantly, who was good enough to be in God's presence and who wasn't. So a question for you. Have you ever wondered whether you can be in God's presence? I would guess for a lot of church people, we would go, nope, I just, I just assume that I can be in God's presence. I think we think about this question more than we might realize. For certain, anybody Uh, Like anytime you've heard somebody say, oh man, I couldn't show up at church. God would strike me dead on the doorstep, right? They've wondered whether they can be in God's presence and they've come to the conclusion that they can't. Maybe for you, that question has rolled around your mind a little bit. 
And the people, the religiously powerful, especially of Jesus' day, had figured out some clear black and white ways to understand how to draw the categorical lines to know for sure who was in and who was out. So as a man, Jesus begins to give new instructions and build personal relationships. He's engaging in relationship and religion. And we spent much of the last couple of months talking about some of those teachings of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's story of Jesus's life, Matthew spends a long time, what we have since determined is three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, of what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, a long time sharing these teachings of Jesus, these radical, world-changing, upside-down or right-side-up, depending on how you want to look at it, teachings of Jesus. And then in chapter 8, he turns us again to the interactions of Jesus, uh, starting with this guy. This is Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. An interesting statement. You can make me clean. Uh, Leprosy was a category for any number of sin diseases at the time. We have a very specific one now, but it it sort of covered the gamut. Anytime that you had uh, dead or dying skin, uh, it sort of fell into this larger category of leprosy. So we're not entirely sure what this man's condition looked like, but we know what his consequences were. That if you were leprous, they understood to some degree that it was somehow contagious. And so you were banished from uh, your family, from society. You could not hang out with other people unless they also had leprosy. You were literally sent outcast, sent to the outskirts of town. So no one is allowed to engage with you. Nobody is allowed to touch you because they understood that may mean leprosy spreads. And something in what this man had seen and heard of Jesus has convinced him that Jesus can heal him. So he goes to Jesus and he asks to be healed, right? Actually, no. Uh, he doesn't ask anything. He makes a declaration, makes a statement. Um, And uh, we can assume that part of this process would be healing. In fact, the New Living Translation, which is the Bible's under the chairs in front of you, uh, says, uh, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. But that's not actually what he said. He goes to him and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This isn't an appeal to Jesus's power of healing. This is an appeal to Jesus's authority to declare him and make him clean. See, uh, clean and unclean uh, were these categories of in and out that were set up by God's instructions. Uh, These weren't uh, human-made categories. God had defined them in the law. There's there's clean and there's unclean. Uh, And so... When God had set these uh, instructions up, he was setting up a whole new society. He had rescued people out of slavery in Egypt, where they had been for centuries, and he's setting up a new society, a new nation of Israel. 
of the people of Israel. And so he's giving the instructions on how they're going to do that. And he promises that he will be with them, that his presence is going to kind of touch down at a point. And it'll be this point within a tabernacle or temple, a a religious structure that they build. And, And so he's giving them all of these laws and rules on how they're going to be a society. And some of these are hygiene related and some of them are worship related. And in all of it, you end up with these categories of clean and unclean. And people who are unclean are not welcome, at least for a time, in uh, the circles of society, but that includes they're not welcome to come and worship in the temple, in the presence of God. Well, why is that? So God is a God of life. And he wanted to draw a sharp distinction over and over again. He draws this in the law between life and death and the importance of life and death and their meaning and symbolism and all of those things that God had created life. Our sin, our mistakes had created, brought into the picture death. Death is not part of the original creation. It is why it feels so wrong to us that it exists at all. God is the God of life. And as he drew these distinctions, he's saying, okay, so people who carry the the symbols of sin or the symbols of death with them cannot come into the presence of a living and holy God. And so some categories of unclean uh, were things uh, like blood outside the body, including a woman's menstrual period, or somebody who touched a dead body or a dead animal carcass, or somebody who had dead skin on them. So these folks are then put in the category of unclean, and they, for a time, have to separate from society and not show up in the presence of God to worship uh, until they go through their period of time, they go through their ritual to be moved back to the clean category. I do want to point out that those things I just listed are not sinful things. We're not calling them sins. There were sinful things you did that also ended you up in an unclean category. But these are just things that carry the symbol of death. And as a side note, the things that we now understand carry germs. But like they're not sins. Somebody has to touch the dead body, right? If somebody dies, somebody has to take them out of the camp. And as they do that, they are now unclean. And they now have to stay away from society, in part because they believe that if somebody unclean touched a person who was clean, their uncleanness spread to the clean person, and now they're unclean, and now everybody's got to go out and go through the rituals and be clean. The problem for people with leprosy is that unlike some of those other, where like you carry the dead body out and bury it, you know there's a prescribed amount of time that you're going to be out of community. For people with leprosy, that time could just go on and on and on, where they feel outcast, shunned, no touch, no community, no contact with family, no end in sight. And if you've ever waited for something that you know, well, it'll come in three weeks, versus I don't know when this is coming. Those are very different waitings. And so this man comes to Jesus We have no idea how long he's been waiting, how long he's been in this unclean category. But he comes to Jesus, not asking to feel better, but simply saying, Jesus, I believe in your authority to make me clean. He's requesting to be allowed back into interactive relationship with God and community. Okay, church, uh, what about you? 
What, what kind of clean and unclean categories do you apply to your own life? Or I could ask the question this way, when you feel like you deserve to be left out, what makes you feel that way? When you feel like you deserve to be left out, when you feel unworthy of love, what causes that for you? Or what makes you start to justify? To say, well, sure, I, I did that, but, but at least I'm not that guy. Or, well, yeah, I said that thing, but at least I'm, at least I'm not her. Or, well, yeah, but I think when we add it all up in the end, I'll have done more good than bad, so, so I can justify this thing. Or what moves you to hide, to hope that no one will really see you? What is it that you struggle to forgive in yourself? Maybe it was that thing you did when you were 12 that you hope nobody finds out about. Maybe it's that thing someone did to you that makes you feel unclean or dirty. Maybe it's something you said or did this week or even this morning that you're hoping that your smile covers it up so nobody can tell. What is it that makes you feel like you deserve to be left out? What is that thing that makes it hard to look God in the eyes and trust that you will be okay? I have another story for you that I want to get to in a minute, but uh, here's what we're going to do first. Uh, we're going to take a couple of minutes, uh, just you and God, to engage in the practice of confession, to bow our heads and recognize what is true about us and what is true about God. That, that is a, that's a full circle of confession. To confess what I know to be true about me and what I know to be true about God and his grace and goodness. To do what this man did and bring our uh, uncleanness to Jesus. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would be so willing to posture yourself that way. And to do the hard thing of thinking about what you've done or thought that makes you feel unclean or unworthy of forgiveness. And I want you to think about that thing until you can come to the point where, like this man, you can bring it to Jesus and go, Jesus, I believe that if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, if this comes immediately for you because you've already done the, the hard work uh, of, um, of going through this, this process, uh, that's, that's great. Maybe spend this time in prayer for those around you or for someone you know who doesn't believe that they can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you can make me clean, but so desperately needs to hear it. So uh, let's start with this scripture. Will you, uh, will you read this with me? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Let's go to God.
spoken over you and uh, over me. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus is willing to make you clean, to forgive you, to invite you into his presence, to bring you into life. And then he gives this man this kind of uh, strange command. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Uh, Why give this strange command? Uh, I won't get into why Jesus would tell some people to spread the news and other people not, but this command at the end to go and show yourself to the priest, this is that ritual as part of the instructions that God gave of moving from unclean to clean. So he said, look, I know you're healed. I know you're made clean. So now go and do the ritual. Take yourself to the priest so that the gatekeepers of these clean and unclean categories know that you have been moved from one to the other. This man is healed. He is made clean. And Jesus says, basically, go and be restored to your community. Go and be in your family. Go and worship uh, with your neighbors. Now, as much as Jesus says, don't tell anyone, he does then tell the man to go and tell people, right? To go and tell the priest, to go and tell the right people. Uh, There is benefit in the appropriate and right ways of telling somebody what Jesus has done, of confessing to another person who you are and who Jesus is, to say, look, friend, I did this. I just need to tell you because I don't want to hide, because I don't need to hide, because I believe Jesus will and has forgiven me. I believe Jesus welcomes me into his presence. There's power in having that conversation. Maybe before you leave today, uh, maybe you uh, email me this week, whatever. There's, There's power in finding a person and saying, hey, I just... I need to tell you what's true. A few stories later, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, uh, wants to make sure that we know that this is personal for him. This isn't just somebody else's story. Uh, So in Matthew uh, chapter 9, starting in uh, in verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. This this Matthew, who's writing these words, we believe is the same Matthew in the tax collector's booth. And and some of you know, a tax collector, not a particularly popular person in their day, and not that they're particularly popular today, I suppose, but particularly unpopular at the time, a tax collector was a betrayer of their people. They were a Jewish person who'd been hired to work for the oppressive Roman government, uh, and they got very stuck in the middle. Uh, They were not welcome with their Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, They were uh, ostracized by their family for being a betrayer of the people, but they also weren't welcome with the Romans because they were Jews. 
stuck in the middle, perhaps wealthy and comfortable, but stuck without community. Uh, they were not uh, labeled as sinners because there's, there's no law in God's instructions in, in what they were looking at about being a tax collector. Uh, so they weren't, in that sense, technically in an unclean category, but they got to face all of the effects and consequences of being unclean, being ostracized. Um, they were reluctantly, begrudgingly allowed into the temple, but not like the middle of the temple where God's presence was, but like you can come on the outskirts here if you want, I, I guess. But don't expect us to look at you and don't expect us to talk to you. And if we do, you won't like it very much, okay? So they're, they're just ostracized, outcast, stuck. Remember that Jesus came to invite people into an interactive relationship. And that includes a tax collector like Matthew. God in humanity inviting a tax collector into his presence. He's inviting Matthew, we will find out, not just to come and hang out with him, but to come and be a disciple, to be his student, to learn from him. And disciples were supposed to be so close to their teachers, so hanging on every word and trying to follow in every footstep uh, that they said they should have their teachers dust all over them. That as they walked through the desert, they would be walking so close that as their teacher took steps and kicked up a little dust, it would get all over the disciple behind them because they were so close to them. Jesus is inviting Matthew to come and be in his presence with that kind of closeness. Jesus is inviting you to come and be in his presence with that kind of closeness. You are invited to follow Jesus, to be a student and an imitator of Christ, which is what the word Christian means. Not to simply agree with a set of, of teachings, although that too. Not to give yourself and others over to the instruction of religion, but to interact, to be in relationship, to be loved by God, to put your feet in the footsteps of Jesus and walk in his ways. And the first place that Jesus takes Matthew is actually into Matthew's own house. And I feel like there's an analogy there for what Jesus wants to do in us when we first follow him, but I couldn't figure it out, so we're going to keep moving. Okay, so Jesus takes Matthew into his own house, starting in verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Y'all, this is such good news. <laughs> you know those things that make you feel like you deserve to be left out? That you don't deserve to be loved? God does not see it that way. You are invited 
to follow along, to eat with, to celebrate, to be in the presence of God. And you aren't invited because you're good enough. You aren't invited because God can use you. You aren't invited because of the gifts you bring, although I'm sure you bring great ones. You are invited because you are loved. And nothing, scripture tells us, is going to separate us from that love. Nothing that you do will make you unlovable by the God who made you. You're invited to be loved, to sacrifice, yes, to follow his instructions, yes, but also to be in relationship, to love and be loved. And to love not just Jesus, but to also love the other messy people in his presence. Jesus will make you clean, but that does not mean that following him will be. Jesus will make you clean, but that does not mean that the process of walking in his steps and following him where he leads us will be a clean process. If you're following Jesus, if you're following of Jesus, leaves you messless and comfortable, you probably have not followed Jesus deep enough and wide enough yet. Jesus will make us clean. And you are invited to follow Jesus. <laughs> but you are invited to follow Jesus and get covered in his dust and to touch the unclean and to love the outcast. You are not invited into a process of using the instructions of God to make yourself more comfortable in categories of in and out. You're invited to come and follow Jesus every day to get covered in his dust, to touch the unclean, and to love the outcast. This summer, uh, we are going to follow after Jesus together, uh, along with Matthew and the other disciples. To ask, what did they experience as they followed? What did they learn as they watched Jesus live his everyday life? And we will see uh, stories of Jesus in scripture, uh, in our everyday lives, in Callas County and in Bosnia-Herzegovina and in our testimonies. We will get covered, hopefully, hopefully. Our prayer is that as we follow Jesus every day, we will get covered in his dust so that other people can see him when they look at us. Not how impressive we are, how well we follow some instructions, but, but that they would see Jesus. Uh, and I want to do one last thing uh, before I uh, wrap up. So as the worship team uh, comes up, you guys want to make your way this way. I just want to recognize that as we talk about um, instructions and interactions, religion and relationship, as we bring our uh, confession to God, that there may be people in this room or online for whom today is the first day that they're considering, oh, I could actually be in relationship with God. I might actually step into relationship. That, that maybe you've been doing the church thing for decades. You've been following all the religious instructions, but, but today you went, oh, I, I could actually step into relationship 
with God for the first time. Uh, so there are probably a dozen different ways to, uh, to do this. Um, I, today, uh, this morning, we'll do it summer camp style. And I hated this when I was doing summer camp, so I apologize, but we'll do it this way anyway. Since we have already been bowing our heads and closing our eyes, I'm going to invite you to do that again. Um, if everybody could bow their, bow their heads and close their eyes. Uh, nobody looking around except me. I just want to give the opportunity to say, I am stepping into this relationship thing for the first time. I've broken the rules or I've been trying to follow them so well, but I actually want to step into relationship. If you're online, uh, you could uh, just comment in there. Again, you could email me this week. Uh, you could turn to the person next to you. Uh, but here in this room, again, nobody looking around except me. Um, if, uh, if you're saying, yeah, I'm stepping into that relationship today for the first time, uh, if you'd be so uh, brave as to raise your hand um, and say, yeah, that's, that's me. Thanks. An opportunity to know that it is not how well you follow the rules that makes you loved. It is not what you earn. It is a love that is given. It is a relationship you are invited into no matter what you've done. No matter how great or horrible you feel like you've been, for all of us to recognize that we are invited into the presence of God to be loved and to love. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this invitation. Thank you that we didn't have to earn it and we can't. Thank you that it is um, that we're not we're not here to impress you or the people around us. We're here to love and be loved, and you make that possible. Jesus, thank you that your death and resurrection makes this interaction possible, makes having eternal life possible, and so we step into that, into this relationship, into that life. And we want to follow you to wherever and whomever you lead us so that they can experience that love too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.